This podcast is brought to you by Upgrade Fitness, Guernsey's new state-of-the-art gym, purpose-built for gym goers by gym lovers. Head to upgrade.fitness to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast, your weekly insight into island sport every Wednesday brought to you in association with Upgrade Fitness. Coming up on this week's show, we're joined by a former star of Guernsey basketball, now coach, as the new domestic season begins on the crest of the Island Games wave. To build on that legacy in terms of basketball locally, um, trying to get those players that, you know, maybe play other sports or um, wanted to give it a go and it's necessary, I think, now to, to be able to create an opportunity for not just the people who've been playing for years, but actually to try and get, get those new players in, um, you know, especially for the women. I think it's a real benefit. A full interview with Oracle Diamonds coach Liz Taylor-Kerr to come. Plus, we'll reflect on a busy weekend with Guernsey going head-to-head with Jersey in softball and swimming at Beausajour and on the cricket pitch in Spain. Um, and we'll have a look ahead at what's coming up as well. I'm Tony Kerr. With me to do all that is Gareth Prevo. Hi, Tony. Jamie Ingle. Hi, Tony. And Rob Batis. Hi, Tom. Great to have a full house uh, today. Um, let's start, though, with the major off-the-field story in Channel Island sport at the moment. That is the very sudden demise of Jersey Reds last week. Um, the island's only professional outfit ceased trading on Wednesday, um, leaving dozens of players and staff out of work overnight. Um, it remains to be seen what will happen there. Lots of chat around rescue packages, around government bailouts. Um, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, but, Rob, let me come to you. I mean, you wrote a column... Um, back in February 2020, I think you've got it on your screen there now, um, almost, I wouldn't say predicting this, but kind of uh, warning um, that it wouldn't be far away. You know, the Reds' financial troubles have been sort of well documented over the years. It's finally happened. Um, what was your reaction to it? Well, um, clearly great shame. It's um, You never want to see a situation where 70 individuals are suddenly faced with the sack and a whole you know, worthy sports club actually crash overnight. But I can't say I'm surprised. As I say, um, you know, you just see that sheer cost of actually paying 70 full-time staff. And I know the the average wage of the playing staff, which is about, what's 33, something is about 25,000. How can that happen when you're just bringing in under 2,000 people on a for a home home game it just the numbers just don't stack up you know you you could have some very very wealthy backers to to continue and obviously they haven't got those backers anymore so no I'm not surprised I'm very very saddened by it but it just goes to show you know there is a for clubs in and sporting organizations in the channel lines there is a limit to your ambition surely you know due to the sheer size of the islands yeah, you wrote at the time, Jersey, you would have thought, will now have to cut their cloth appropriately or risk a major implosion somewhere down the line. I don't want to see it happen because it will have rendered a vintage period in their history as wasted years. I mean, it, to a certain extent, Gareth, it almost has been coming. I mean, what was your take on the on the news when you when you read it last Wednesday or yeah. Thursday morning, I guess? I, I was probably more surprised by the timing of it, Tony. I mean, obviously... As has been shown in, in Premiership rugby over the recent seasons, I mean, they've lost Worcester Warriors, they've lost Wasps, they've lost London Irish. It, it shows how difficult it is to to be a professional outfit in 
in um, rugby because I mean like Rob says you've got you have to have a playing staff of 35 to 40 people straight away so um, I mean that's a big weight you're talking sort of a wage bill per season of over sort of two million pounds really so um, yeah it, it's always been a struggle um, it, you don't have like all the broadcast revenue that football does and um, all, all the attendance, all the merchandising, and all that. So that there's a lot of um, a lot of funding needed for those sort of ventures. Um, but yeah, it was more the timing of it because Jersey, obviously, they're championship winners last season. You know, that's that's they've won the second tier of, of um, English rugby, which is an amazing achievement. And just recently, they've beaten Bath in the in, um, cup competition. And the week before they've sort of gone or ceased trading, they, they were hosting Exeter Chiefs, who were one of the biggest clubs around. So uh, the timing of it surprised me. Um, but yeah, the, like Rob says, the fact that they've had to cease trading hasn't come as a huge surprise. And you just imagine how many clubs are sort of on the brink of, of being in that situation. Yeah. And obviously, a couple of years ago or last year, um, the amateur side of the club and the professional red side of the club was, was split so that the, the teams, um, the women's team and the, and the team that play now as Jersey Rugby Club um, in, the, um, in the pyramid, a completely separate operation. Now, uh, you know, presumably there was a, some force there that to kind of if you like put the club or put the Reds professional club on the line in that pursuit of a premiership place you know that they wanted some kind of um, safety net there for the rest of the club so obviously the, the good news is that the rugby in the island doesn't sort of disappear overnight and um, yeah I mean what, what's it that is the most important thing yeah Surely, you know, you know, rugby exists in Jersey and the Jersey rugby club is more important than Jersey Reds you know if you haven't got the Jersey rugby club you're not going to have a sport going forward well, of course, the Sun Cup, you know, attendance-wise over there is as popular as any game or as any day they have, um, whether it's extra Chiefs or or any of the the kind of big boys of English rugby coming to town. Well, yeah, exactly, and um, and it sort of shows how how important it is financially as well. The Sun Cup to to both clubs, you know, obviously Guernsey Raiders they they get such a great turnout for the Sun Cup when it's over here, but. Um, Jersey Rugby Club, they basically almost needed the Siam Cup to help boost their coffers. And But one one Saturday in May, all of a sudden, puts them in a decent financial position as, a, as an amateur club. That's where the, the big sort of change came with the split. Uh, the sort of the Reds went off almost as a franchise on their own. Um, they still play out of the same base at St. Peter, as, as far as I understand it. They, they sort of play their rent-free, but um, uh, pay for the up keep of the of the ground but it's actually owned by the jersey rugby club so yeah it's 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 so important for jersey rugby as a whole to have that rugby club still going the the amateur side of it and i mean they proved in the Siam cup at the end of last season that they're a very strong side even, even without professionals in it i mean there were, there were a few ex-reds still playing because they've made their base in jerseys i mean jersey reds as an entity is such a huge thing for their community over there as well it's um, you sort of saw the outpouring of is it Garrus, is it i'd question that because we heard this the news in the last couple of days you know it it brings in so much revenue to the island but the fact is how many people how many islanders are actually turning up at St Peter to watch their home games? If it was 5,000, 8,000, you know, you'd, I think you'd have a far stronger argument. But their home crowds are averaging less than 2,000. You know, they're much less than that on some occasions. And it's not as, they're not popular, it's not as popular as the Siam Cup, as we said. You know, there comes a point, really, you've got to, you've got to weigh these things up how valuable it is to the island and you know and how how this thing pays and quite clearly it doesn't pay so again i'm not surprised it's sad 
But well, no rugby club pays though. No, well, and that's another, that's a big, even broader question, you know, in, in terms of professional sport in the UK, how it how it exists. It's a, it's remarkable how it continues to exist in such a over-professional way. I mean, I was, I was rather hoping to, or expecting, to be honest, when, when the COVID outbreak came three years ago, that that may well be draw a line in the sand. And a lot of clubs would, and lots of leagues would perhaps become semi-pro or amateur again and it would be much better for sport but it hasn't happened and of course football and rugby rely to- almost totally on investors you know and people are putting their hands in their pockets to keep keep these clubs going and it's just not going to happen for- forever in the day yeah there'll be some very interesting conversations well there have been some interesting conversations in jersey about whether the government should support um the club to 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 a greater extent, uh, they certainly wouldn't. It certainly wouldn't happen in Guernsey. I mean, they've they've thrown basically almost a million at it in the last four years. Could you imagine the fuss in Guernsey if we if the Guernsey government has thrown up close to a million at keeping um, Guernsey FC going or or the Raiders? It just <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. But I'm, I'm I don't think it should happen to be honest. You know, in this this day and age where Guernsey and Jersey are the same, you know, need money for far more important projects. You know, as I say, if if 10,000, 10,000 people are walking through the gates every week at St. Peter to, to follow this, this, you know, national team of theirs, I'd say it would, you know, it would be worth keep, you know, finding extra money to keep going. But 1,000, 1,500, 1,800, no. Yeah, I think yeah, so there has been a big outpouring, but I think there's almost the case of sort of use it or lose it, isn't it? I mean, that, 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 you know, for those big occasions, more people did turn up and that's obviously natural. But yeah, as you say, you know, for the sort of run-of-the-mill championship games against yeah. the, the sides they've well, been playing it, it, year in, year out, it really yeah. did dwindle. Their, their actual crowds are still pretty good for championship rugby. Yeah. That sort of shows the level it is, but also um, the the interest, I suppose, when I, I don't actually know what the crowd was when Exeter went to St Peter, but I'm sure there was a heck of a lot more people than would have been for for a run of the mill championship week. Um, I'm, I don't think their um, capacity is particularly high anyway, but for safety reasons, health and safety reasons. Um, but uh, it it will still be felt as a big loss over there. Yeah, the fact is, is is too much professionalism in rugby, in UK rugby, and same in in football. You know. <laughs> At the end of the day, somebody's going to be paid for all this. And, you know, as we've seen in the professional rugby area, you know, we've gone from having no pros to how many? I mean, how many people are earning a living out of rugby in the UK? It must be an enormous amount and it's got to be funded somewhere. And I think that, you know, as it's proven in the last year or so with all those clubs fought going by the, going by the wind, you know, it just can't continue. Something has to happen. And perhaps I know the RFU have been taking an awful lot of stick, you know, saying for you know, for not helping out these clubs and providing extra funding. But uh, perhaps they're right. You know, perhaps they're, they're trying to p- pull the game back into a more amateur amateur fashion you know um semi-pro fashion i don't know it's it, it's an intriguing thing it's having said that it's it is sad that people are out of out of work but i'm not entirely i'm not surprised at all yeah it doesn't help the course of the rfu does it i mean you know when they're paying their ceo whatever it is kind of you know vast sums of money and and the game is kind of everywhere you look there's this massive massive challenges well i mean just, just finally on this i mean you know the whole reds professional 
kind of project has been fascinating to, to watch from a Guernsey perspective and, and just for Channel and Sport, you know, it's unprecedented what they've kind of, what they've become. But would, what do you think the, uh, the kind of, um, you know, the sort of board members, perhaps at Jersey Bulls and, and over here, you know, at GFC, at Raiders will be thinking in terms of watching that. It's a bit of a warning about what, you know, how far our ambition can take you. Uh, of course. Um, and I know certainly at the Raiders, um, in recent years, you know, there, there has been a, a, a large degree of nervousness amongst the higher echelons of the club, you know, about Guernsey Raiders actually winning promotion and going up up a level because they know how much that's going to cost the club. And I've heard it many times before, you know, if we can't get promoted, we'll be bankrupt if we do, you know. And they've Raiders have actually um, worked very, very hard to keep their heads afloat but it is very very hard um for a small island um to con- you know to find all that money for all those flights all that accommodation bringing teams in you know it, it, I know it's it, it's incredible that they've continued to be as successful as they have and the same as Jurgen's ESC you know I've always been one of those who've been saying that they need to be a bit more ambitious and perhaps bring some extra players in and all that sort of stuff. But of course, it has to be paid for in the end. And somebody's going to make decisions, sensible decisions about what what is the limit, what is, where is the ceiling. And the sad fact is when you're a little island like Guernsey and Jersey, I know they're a bit, almost double population, but nevertheless, it's still a, a small number, really. You know, there are severe limits, so... Perhaps that's the way it's going to be. Cheers, Rob. Um, right, let's talk about the weekend then, because it was a pretty busy one, particularly at Beaux-Ajour, Jamie. Lots going on um, across the weekend, uh, inside and out. Um, I think you were at both. Um, let's start with the softball then, because that was a, 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 another triumphant day um, for, for Guernsey softballers, and you were there to watch a, a big win in the, the Marathi. Yeah, um, well, softball currently is a sport where we're co- uh, definitely a level above our inter-island opposition. And yeah, the Marathi A showed that with Guernsey pitting a spectacular first inning to lead 14-0. And I mean, after that, it's quite hard to come back from. But to be fair, Jersey put up a bit of a fight. End result was 33-14. It's obviously fantastic to Guernsey to win that one again, because that's 11 in a row in the Marathi A match. But that was just sort of a centrepiece to a, a programme of matches at both your. We had the Upton A and B and we had the Marathi B as well. And Guernsey won all of them except for the Upton B. So it's nice to see Jersey fighting back and getting a win. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And, and, and well, like the swimming, which we'll talk about in a moment, just great to have... Uh, great to have the fixture, the occasion back at, uh, on home soil. The first time it's been here since 2019. What, what was the atmosphere like up there? Yeah, it, it was quite well supported, to be fair. People were there on the sidelines, genuinely enjoying it, like cheering on people who were playing. And yeah, it was just a really nice atmosphere. Yeah, and more good news for Guernsey softball this week as well. A couple of the players, um, a couple of the stars of, of the Island game uh, have been called up to the Great Britain squad for the slow pitch World Cup in Mexico, um, Macy Cortez and Josh Smith. Um, so that's really good news. Uh, congratulations to them. Um, let's move on to the swimming inside at Beaux-Ajour. A uh, full schedule across the weekend and in Tarantula back for the first time in a number of years, just oh. like the softball. And then the Challenge Championships as well. Yeah, I think whereas we're dominating on the softball diamonds, it didn't go quite well so well in the swimming in terms of winning stuff. Um, to be fair, we had a decently competitive in Tarantula, but Jersey got... Jersey just got the upper hand by quite a margin. Um, we were missing a few of our top swimmers. Uh, but yeah, we had definitely pockets of really strong performances through the age groups. 
And that was sort of just the taster for the Channel Island Championships. And that was another five busy sessions throughout the weekends. Again, it was dominated by Jersey, but I think we do have to give a lot of credit to 14-year-old Emma Bugays, who are nominated as possibly the standout performer of the weekend, just for winning, uh, being the top senior swimmer in two different events, which is, yeah, which is no mean feat, especially against such strong opposition. Yeah, and I guess it is the sort of start of a new cycle, isn't it? Obviously, we had the Island Games in the summer. We had a Youth Commonwealth Games as well this summer. So it's sort of building towards um, what's to come in a, in a couple of years in Orkney. So um, yeah, well, just again, good to see that event back on the schedule. Um, right, Gareth, from Interinsular Competition uh, at Beausajour um, to Interinsular Competition in Malaga. Uh, it's been a bit pretty big uh, and busy few days, isn't it, for our cricketers, um, the Island's men down in Spain competing in the European Cricket Championship for the first time. And having found it, well, fair to say, having found it quite hard going against Jersey in recent years, having to play them twice. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's Murphy's Law that we got drawn against Jersey in this, in our first ever European Cricket Championship, isn't it? And um, to be fair, we we performed pretty well over the, sort of like over the three days of, of uh, Group B competition. But every time we come up against Jersey, we fall quite a long way short just because they are so good, really, at the moment. Um, it's uh, it's just one of those things. Uh, Guernsey ended up finishing in the top two of the round robin down in um, down in Malaga. They uh, they only lost that one group game to Jersey and they, they managed to beat Croatia, Bulgaria and Belgium through and performed pretty well. You know, they, they showed why they were beating those sides. Uh, Belgium was sort of like seen as the, the other danger side, certainly in the group stages. And um, yeah, yeah, we we played pretty well. Actually, I thought our batting was very good. Um, Zach Danell and Ben Fitchett uh, opened up, and they sort of kept the same order throughout with Tom Nightingale, Matt Stokes, and Josh Butler competing in a very strong top five. And it, I mean, T10 is really all about boundaries. It's, there's no sort of nudging and nerdling in T10. It's all or nothing. And um, yeah, Fitchy Ben Fitcher ended up as top scorer, I think, for the tournament. So fair play to him. He, he was he was timing the ball really well, really sweetly. Zach Damrell was in the runs. Um, Tom Nightingale blasted an amazing seventy, I think, on the first day off about eighteen balls, where he was launching it into orbit on a couple of occasions. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, just came down to when we got through to the finals day in the sort of the qualifying semi-final, we had to face Jersey again. And, uh, you know, yet again, we fall short against just a, a quality outfit and ha- to play it sort of like whatever it was, one o'clock their time and then have to go straight out again to play Belgium in the in, in the eliminator didn't really work for Guernsey and, and they ended up um, losing to a, a big hitting Belgium side who had just had a rest and they were sort of coming in on a bit of a high. Um, Jersey obviously in the in the final game against Belgium went on to show their class and they they demolished them as well and to qualify for Championship Week, but generally I think Guernsey will take a lot from the experience. Um, I think we were a bit short on bowling. We we didn't have sort of everyone we want we'd like perhaps available to us and our execution of some of the skills, particularly sort of bowling Yorkers, getting it really full in the block hole. Because I mean bowlers have to know that you're going to go for probably a couple of boundaries in T10 every over. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, but yeah, there, there was a couple of times where I felt um, we, we were hit off our lengths perhaps a bit too um, too early and we couldn't quite get it back. But th- that is how how that format works and, and we're not very experienced in it yet. So I, th- I think we can learn a few, few lessons from that. And it, it was generally a, a positive weekend in Spain. It was just... Yeah, we're just trying to avoid Jersey next time, right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, some of that. I mean, some of the hitting across the board is remarkable. As you say, Ben Fitchett uh, finishing as, as top scorer in the week was brilliant. Um, 
But yeah, some of the the destructive batting from Jersey's young players, um, our, our Acer tribe, we know well. But Charlie Brennan um, and uh, and Josh Lawrenson as well, um, yeah, the, the hitting was 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 unreal at times. And yeah, were, well, I was sort of out and about on Saturday and going down to the football at, at Footslade and, and tuned in um, in the well, sort of midway through Jersey's innings uh, when we we're taking them on in finals day, and it, and it was looking quite good at that point. But it just kind of ran away, didn't it, in those last sort of two or three? Yeah, games. I think it also shows the mentality of this Jersey side at the moment because there was a couple of times I think they were two for two in one game and then ended up scoring a, a mammoth score just because they've got so much strength and depth and they back themselves to do it. Um, I mean, you talk about their batting, Tony, but in, in that T10, generally every nation you see is just basically going in and stand and deliver huge swipes across the line most of the time. Jersey go out and pl- they play proper cricket shots, but they're still launching it as far as anybody else. I mean, um, I can't remember. I think it might have been Lawrence who hit the winning runs in the final, but it was a huge six, but it was just a lovely shot. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't what you'd call a slog like a lot of what the, the other nations do. They just sort of like go out and it's all or nothing. Jersey, they time the ball so well. And yeah, uh, Acer Tribe perhaps should have scored 100 early in the tournament. Um, it just transpired that I don't think they had enough runs to chase or he didn't have enough balls to face. He got 94 not out of about 20-odd balls, which is ridiculous, but it's not surprising. Yeah. You know, that's just the, that's just where Jersey are at the moment. They had a lot of youngsters in their side as well. Um, but yeah, uh, judging from what else I've seen in, in the European, which is very well broadcast on YouTube, we would have nothing to fear against any other side so far that I've seen. Obviously, you do occasionally lose a game because of the nature of the format. But Jersey are just so much better than the rest of them. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I know, you know Jeremy Frith is director of cricket, you know, want, wants to see uh, Guernsey's top players playing more quote unquote meaningful cricket, you know, playing the, the longer the longer innings and stuff. But it, it goes to show that, that, you know, you can be successful, as you say, playing proper cricket. Um, in this kind of you know uh, in, in this sort of super short format so yeah w- how it fits in or uh, yeah going forward how it fits into our schedule here it'll be interesting to see whether whether the GCB um, kind of build T10 into it a bit more yeah it'd be perhaps if they are sort of going to make this a, sort of like an annual thing entering these competitions and entering like the Champions League version where our clubs go our, our Roselle Shield winners go um, it would it must be worth having like our perhaps pre-season uh, warm-up for the evening league being a T10 tournament rather than we've had a sort of like 80 ball or 100 ball tournament sort of going into the season recently. If we're going to be involved in these competitions, you know, why not have a have a T10 event over here, perhaps just over one weekend where sort of three or four clubs are involved. Uh, it's just getting used to the skills you need for that. Um, I mean, there was times I was shouting at the TV that we were trying to hit it too hard occasionally. It, it, to be fair, we batted pretty well, but there were the times when we didn't bat well is we were almost trying to hit it too hard. And um, you, you just... It, the, it looked like the boundary was about 60, 65 metres, which is it's a decent boundary, but we're capable of clearing that without having to try and hit it 120 metres. So um, it's just getting used to that sort of feel. And yeah, like I say, it's, it's, the bowlers are in a bit of a no-win situation, but you, you just have to execute your skills better. And just by playing in more of those events, will you learn how to do that? Welcome back. Our thanks once again to Upgrade Fitness for their support of the show. Um, now, Jamie, uh, big week for basketball. The domestic season gets uh, underway um, across the week, uh, as we sort of spoke about um, previously. Uh, yeah, a bit of a, a sort of new look to the season. We're going to have some Saturday games to try and capture a bit of that Island Games magic. Um, and across the board, some some new faces involved, some returning faces, and some new teams. Yeah. So season starts Wednesday night, and so we're 
into some of the exciting, important games quite early on. On Friday, we've got an interesting test between Oracle Diamonds, a new team who you'll hear a lot about shortly, uh, against Ravenscroft, who... For a number of years, they're sort of a serial champions of a league and they're still obviously a very strong side. So, yeah, it'll give them a good benchmark sort of both ways as to where they are. Following week, we've got the start of a men's season, which will see a brand new team, V1 Pistons, in action, which should also be very interesting. As you say, Oracle Diamonds, a new name in the women's division, uh, getting things underway um, this weekend. And uh, yeah, they're going to be coached, or they are being coached, by um, one of the uh, sort of all-time greats of Guernsey basketball, someone who's given a lot to the sport on the court, Liz Taylor Kerr. Um, is now coaching in the top division, and she joined us uh, in the pod studio here at the Guernsey Press uh, to look ahead to the new season. First of all, for anyone who doesn't know you, just give us a bit of a potted history of your your career in basketball. Yeah, sure. So uh, Liz Taylor Kerr, I was the island captain for seven years or so. Um, started playing with the island in 2003 for the island games locally. Um, I'd played, well, I don't want to tell you how many years, but over <laughs> over four decades, I think I played for in the end um, in Australia and then kind of came over here. So I played semi-pro in Australia, um, came over here and as I say, played for the island for off and on, um, I think 14 years or so in the end. So I retired a couple of times and made a comeback. And then last season, um, made a comeback as well and tore my plantar fascia first game, made a comeback again. And then I unfortunately had a blood clot, uh, which means I'm on blood thinners now and off the court. So I uh, jumped to the other side. Yeah, you haven't got too far away, have you? Because you, you've got a kind of new role for this season, um, a new team um, that you're kind of heading up. Just tell us about what that team looks like and, and how it came about. Sure. So um, with Oracle Diamonds, uh, I was playing in, with Lamont Saint last year and Lamont Saint's kind of natural um, sponsorship was coming to an end. So we're trying to work out what to do, I think. And Lorna Brown, one of the um, stalwarts of the team, well, it's a new team, isn't it? But she's one of the stalwarts of Guernsey basketball. Uh, she's a director at Oracle and managed to secure some sponsorship. So I just said, you know, would you like to coach? Uh, and it wasn't necessarily something that was on my radar. I was kind of trying to work out wh- how I was going to feature, uh, if I was going to feature just, you know, obviously being disappointed not to be able to actually pay myself. Um, and then, you know, I said, yeah, why not? And got a couple of the old players that really haven't played for some time and uh, a couple of the new players that played in the Island Games, although they're not quite as new anymore. Uh, and we've got quite a few brand new players that have never played that after seeing the Island Games were just inspired to try it. And uh, yeah, so they've been coming along and coming on in leaps and bounds. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, what happened at the Island Games across the sports was incredible, but basketball in particular was uh, was another level, wasn't it? The uh, the atmosphere and the, the enthusiasm for the sport there. As someone who's given so much to basketball over the years, how much did that kind of... Uh, sort of charge your heart to see to see the, the sort of passion for it. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think in 2003, it was similar, but this was on another level. Uh, and you just see the school kids, for example, just getting so excited. And I think basketball is a sport that you don't need to understand the rules to follow what's going on. You know, it's fairly obvious. There are obviously nuances the more you understand, but anyone can just rock up and, and watch a game and, you know, and get excited about it. And it's so fast moving. And, you know, the atmosphere that you can create inside, inside a space that really isn't that big is just incredible. And I think the Island Games as a whole really captured Guernsey's imagination and, you know, seeing my kids and the excitement that they've got for collecting badges and all that kind of stuff and learning about the islands is just, you know, it's fantastic. And I think to build on that legacy in terms of basketball locally, um, trying to get those players that, you know, maybe play other sports or um, wanted to give it a go and it's necessary, I think, now to to be able to create an opportunity for not just the people who've been playing for years, but actually to try and get get those new players in. Um, you know, especially for the women, I think it's a real benefit. Yeah, because there was a lot of chat 
immediately after the games about kind of well you know what's next what can we do and in many ways i guess a bit of pressure on the administrators of the sport here to do something which which is quite difficult when you're sort of i suppose short of space um probably short of coaching you know overall yeah. um how well do you think we've capitalized on it in that in that short term yeah i think it's the difficult thing and this is not just guernsey specific but particularly here is just the space the space to have a dedicated sports facility and you know when i was in australia we had exactly the same problem we were sharing with a number of other sports and eventually managed to get our own stadium built um and i think that you know if you can do that then that naturally gives you a huge amount more opportunity and potential. Um, and I think that we've done it really well. I think, again, you know, a number of sports have run taster sessions and trying to get, again, you know, the youth, but also, you know, players that are, you know, have reached adulthood and maybe want to play in that league. So I think um, it was always going to happen. And it's just making sure that you move directly after that and don't wait too long and, you know, let the, the iron grow cold. So, okay, for the coming season, as well as having a few promising new players, you've got a few players making their comeback, like real, you know, celebrated players coming back on court. Uh, You've got both Verona Tomlin and Lorna Brown uh, playing for you this season. How much of a boost is it to have them on court and like maybe act as as mentors to others? Yeah, it's a massive boost. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm pretty disappointed I can't play with them both. (laughs) I was really actually looking forward um, to playing. You know, Verona's come back after quite serious Achilles injury. Lorna has obviously given up her netball boots and we're really happy to have her back. And they bring a huge amount of experience. I mean, they are, um, you know, they're really fit and, and active players um and just they have the mental awareness that are, you know that is something that you can't necessarily teach and i think you know they bring that calm presence so it's beneficial to have them you know both on in, in the training and and in games and stuff like that and then you add the likes of tracy martell who's been playing for you know many years decades um for guernsey and again just brings a huge amount of experience so i think having that balance of experience and then also youth and you know um rochelle mullen and kerry brown lorna's daughter kerry are both come across and you know those are players that i rate in terms of you know guernsey as a whole um two of the really good players to play so you know it's this kind of balance of i don't like to call them old because i'm older (laughs) more experienced players um and then also the you know the younger players and the the less experience that we're bringing through so we really have quite a a selection at both ends of the spectrum um and it will be interesting to see how it kind of comes together and i think that's the challenge it's bringing experience together with inexperience and and i think that what we will probably see is a, a great improvement over the course of the season yeah, and I guess speaking about the actual division itself, I, w- one thing I will say is it's very well balanced and very competitive between the top three teams. And then, of course, you've got like a solid development team for Pumas below them. But like um, against the likes of Ravenscroft, Comets, Pumas, uh, A team, yeah, how do you expect to feature? I think it's hard to tell at this stage. I mean, I'm not expecting that we'll go out and say we're going to win the league or anything. Again, you know, we we don't know how people are going to to go physically after not playing for so long. I mean, again, myself, I came back and got injured the first game last year. So you just don't know, you know, you things happen. Um, people have, you know, work-life balance as well. So I think it would be difficult to say. I would I would like to think that we'd at least be competitive. Um, again, I don't think that we're going to go out and win a game necessarily against five or six island players. We just don't have that. However, 
I think that we have the potential to do really well. And again, I think what we'll probably find is our improvement will be throughout the season, probably. So, you know, even if we thought of this as a almost a development season and then to look to next year, but then what we've also got is a situation where we've got enough players that we can kind of put together a couple of practice games against the Praxis development team. And we're kind of hoping to do that so that we're getting experience in an environment that's not quite as competitive as the Women's League because you know, obviously everybody wants to win, but also you want to get these people a bit of experience. So trying to get some of those practice games against, you know, just in a friendly situation. So people just, you know, learn the rules and are able to play against people at the same level of experience. Obviously, compared to Jersey, you know, Guernsey's basketball scene um, is is a step above at the moment. There has been for a while. You know, we're, we're sort of regularly winning the interinsulars. Obviously, um, the league is so strong. I mean, what, what is the sort of secret sauce in Guernsey basketball? Why, why has it got such a strong um, kind of community? Yeah, I think Jersey is a bit difficult because apparently I've heard that their netball players aren't allowed to play basketball, for example. So we have quite a cross selection of people going from netball to basketball, um, which which they just don't have. I think that... I don't really know. I mean, I suppose it started in 2000, I think was the first time they won. So I think success breeds success to some extent, you know, when people see doing well and, and having that program, you know, the Future Stars program has been amazing that was set up after kind of the last Island Games over here a couple of years later. But having those youngsters coming through, in, you know, on a Saturday morning with hundreds of kids playing basketball, Jersey don't have anything. And really what you need in this kind of situation is to actually have the youth development. You can't just bring people in, you know, at the age of 18, 19, 20, when they're doing other things, going off to uni, you really need to start the love for the game. You know, I started playing when I was like nine, 10 years old uh, at school. And that's the age that you want to start bringing them through. And, you know, it's difficult with the likes of football and stuff, you know, being competition um, for you know, for players, because if you've got sporty players, often the boys particularly gravitate to their sports, girls, not so much. Um, but it's just trying to get them, you know, get get them, teach them the fundamentals. Uh, again, you know, I was talking to some of the girls and if you don't have the fundamentals, you can still do well. But I think learning those fundamental things that will stick with you forever yeah. are invaluable. Were you kind of pleasantly surprised when you came to the island about the basketball scene you found? Yeah, I was I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't played basketball for a, a few years before I came to Guernsey and I went kind of to a training and um, saw some of the players and yeah, no, it was, it was good. I think, uh, again, you know, I was kind of a bit rusty when I came and it was kind of the year before the Island Games and so 2002 was when I first came over. Um, and yeah, so it was it was an unexpected thing. And again, even though I'd seen kind of the Guernsey players, I hadn't ever seen any of the other islands play. So, you know, the Island Games in Guernsey was the first experience that I'd had of anyone else because I think our interinsula was called off that year. So I hadn't even seen Jersey. So it was, yeah, completely unexpected. <laughs> and Guernsey really, you know, for a number of sports, really punch above their weight for the for the size of the island i mean they you know for example a couple of the guys got picked in the in the gb slow pitch softball um teams and you know you've got your cyclists doing well your swimmers you know across all the sports really for the size of the population they do incredibly well on in a more of an international stage yeah I think specifically on the women's side, uh, you, a lot of a lot of your successes at Interinsula level and like Island Games level have been under the wing of Patrick Ogier, who took. I mean, you seem to immediately get you get Guernsey winning on the Interinsula scene as soon as he took over, and he's only recently stepped down as coach. I know personally, he called you Guernsey's greatest player. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, from. 
just from your perspective, do you any, have any kind words for him and what he's done? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah no, Pat, I mean, Pat's been an incredible ambassador for Guernsey basketball over so many years. You know, he's really dedicated so much of his life to, to Guernsey basketball and specifically to the women, you know, going away to we, when we played National League, um, obviously all the Ireland games that we've gone away for and just being involved as kind of president, everything. So, you know, he's amazingly dedicated and he really deserves the time off, you know, that, that he's gotten. He's done well to, to bring the team together and again over such a long period of time. I think, um, you know, again, it's kind of a combination of the dedication of the girls to kind of pull themselves together. And, you know, again, you need a coach to kind of guide you through that. So it really is the end of an era. And, um, you know, Pat deserves everything that he gets. He deserves all the rest <laughs> after putting up with women, you know, for so long, which again, it's a different thing. You know, coaching a, a women's team is a very different thing to coaching a men's team. And you, you kind of have to approach uh, women differently and you know being one of four girls um, and two brothers you know you kind of it, it's not necessarily an easy task to deal with all these hormones and there are a lot of tears and you know and tantrums and all these other kind of things but you know equally it, it, it does bring you good benefits. They, is there a search on now for the next Coach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I don't yeah. know about your own coaching history, how much, how much coaching you've done before, but I mean, is it something you'd think about yeah. in, in future, taking on an island side? So I, uh, yeah, I coached in Australia. Um, I've coached for quite a number of years in Australia, but, you know, over here I haven't had time with, with my kids and stuff. So, you know, potentially, I think uh, maybe if it was before I had kids, I would consider it. It's a difficult situation now. I mean, I've got three boys under the age of 10 uh, that keep me pretty busy and quite busy at work as well. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know at this point whether I can commit the time. Yeah, I would be interested. I mean, I think anyone would be interested to bring on, you know, a successful team and see what you can do with it. And I do pride myself on being able to kind of hopefully bring out the best in people and just teach them the fundamentals. Again, some things you can't teach people, some things you can. And obviously I know the team pretty well. Um, not so much, you know, a couple of the younger players perhaps, but, you know, a lot of the older players. But again, after the, you know, the last Island Games, the next time basketball is featured is a little while away so it's a perfect opportunity to kind of ha maybe have a bit of a rest and then build a new you know a new wave of Guernsey basketball I'd say so I possibly but yeah not right at this moment yeah we'll let you off <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, otherwise my wife might uh, might have words <laughs> with the whole island game situation we're looking at a gap of potentially six years hopefully it won't be quite that long till the next games um just from being around other basketball people have you got an idea of like what other competitions might people might want to look at to maybe <laughs> just keep them ticking over during that gap yeah I think probably one of the islands will put on a, an equivalent to the island games with the same kind of teams probably you know in, in a couple of years time you've also got situations where you've got kind of weekend tournaments that you can go away to so you know France you can go to England um there are just fun tournaments. Obviously, there's National League, but that's a massive commitment, especially since kind of um, sponsorship and stuff is difficult and getting on or off the island. I, mean, I think we did something like 12 trips in you know, a few months' time, kind of weekend trips, which is pretty significant. And, you know, again, it's six years' time, so you've got some of the, the girls who were like, you know, happy that this was their last Island Games, having a local Island Games as well. So I think you'll find that the actual team um, changes significantly in, in six years anyway. And hopefully some of the kids who are in the future stars will be kind of coming through and at the age that they can you know, take advantage of that. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to ask you about another one of your teammates because back in Guernsey 2003, you had Emma Webb, or I think Webley as she quite likes to be called by your side. She was still playing at the last Island Games as Guernsey's most capped player. And now she's taken on a presidential role. I mean, oh, yeah, what can you say about her? Oh, Webley. Um, she's amazing. I mean, yeah, she's been such a 
an inspiration over you know over 20 years you know she started playing i think the turn of the century which sounds <laughs> a long time ago and and managed to kind of hold, tape herself together for the last one and you know she's been incredible she's such a, a fun personality to have around you know she, she she kind of brings the team together um you know she's kind of fun and cheeky in e- equal measure um and then also she's one of the best basketball i played with you know i kind of she was instrumental in our 2003 winning she got injured in the final, so kind of missed um, the last part of the game. But, you know, we kind of – she's one of those people that you wanted to do it for her. And she's just been fantastic. And, you know, to to kind of – it's an end of an era, her hanging up her playing boots as well. But I think her proper, her body will thank her. Um, but having her on the other side I think is good. You know, she's been around for so long. She knows what works. She knows what maybe we need to improve on. And, you know, she'll hopefully be the right person to bring it forward. So, yeah, excited to see what ideas she's got. Liz Taylor Kerr, chat to Jamie and I there. Um, best of luck to her and her new team uh, this season and everyone else in Guernsey basketball. Lots more coverage, of course, in the pages of the Guernsey Press as the season progresses. Um, so keep an eye on that. Um, quick look at the weekend and the week ahead, Gareth. What's the standout for you? Well, I'll be back watching the Raiders, who had a, a really good win on the road last weekend at Wimbledon. That was a great performance for them, especially considering they're missing quite a few regulars. Um, they managed to pick up a bonus point with five tries. Uh, Kieran McGann scored 19 of their points. He's taken on kicking duties while uh, Dan Rice was unavailable through injury. So that was, a, that was a really promising win for Raiders. Hopefully they can build on that when they host Worthing in the clash of the Raiders on Saturday at uh, Foots Lane. Both, both teams using the same nicknames. So, um, yeah, that makes our reporter job a bit more difficult. Um, but yeah, there's going to be some um, decent hockey down at Foots Lane as well at the same time with Indies Ladies against Panthers, which are sort of the top two sides of recent times going head to head and uh, followed by Colombians against uh, reigning champions Yobos in the men's division. So it'd be a busy day down at Foots Lane on Saturday. Yeah, looking forward to seeing the Raiders back on home soil this weekend after that great win away. Um, anything else you're keeping an eye on, Jamie? We've got the finale to the hill climb season uh, taking place at Petty Bow. Uh, it's been a really interesting season. Uh, at the sharp end, like the likes of Nick Saunders, Tim Tully have been spectacular this season. But this this will be a somewhat different hill climb in that the really quick single-seaters won't be allowed to race. It's a very tight and technical course. And we could see some very different riders and drivers taking the spotlight which will be yeah intriguing well more coverage of that in the paper over the next few days make sure you pick up the Guernsey Press six days a week for comprehensive local sports coverage um follow us uh, on social media as well at GSY Press Sport um the place to go right I think that's just about it from us so uh, yeah have a good one see you later cheers Tony cheers Tony